he aroha whakatō, he aroha puta mai. If kindness is sown, then kindness you shall receive. Tēnā koutou katoa, nā iwi nā hapu o te motu, ko tēnei te hōtaka whakumutinga. Woohoo! A te ahikā, welcome back folks to Te Ahikā on Radio New Zealand National. I'm Mariah Rakuraku. And I'm Justine Murray, and yes, it's the last <laughs> show for the year. How's about that, eh? Man, the year has gone by pretty fast. Tonight we're bringing you highlights from our year with a few of our favourite stories, my rakiura, ki te reiringa wairua, and everything in between. From Rotorua to Palmerston North, Otaki to Hamilton, Wellington to Christchurch, and everywhere else we have got to over the past 12 months. We've met Komatua doing their thing, wahine changing the world, and kids. Kids with lots of beans, including this one. What are the cool things about the kura kaupapa Māori o te kautu? You can answer in Māori if you want to. Aira, ma, um, mahanga mea. Kaere ka mōhio, he mahanga mea pai. He mahanga mea pai. Pai ki te kai te, te tina. He pai te kapahaka moke, um, te reo pāni ora, ka ako, te ako i te reo, um, te kite i oku hoa. He painga mahita? Ai. Oh, kawaito mahita. Firewaitangi. Firewaitangi. So, Hini Tapura, me hirita wa kitereo pakeha. Paitina? Ai. So, Hini Tapura, you are the milky bar kid. Yes. <laughs> who was it your mummy that, wanted, that found out about auditioning or, or who, started the, who started that? How did you find out about it? Oh, my. Auntie, her name is Auntie Zaylene, um, she rang at our house um, to see if I wanted to um, sign up to audition. When we did the audition, um, my mum, when we were finished it, when we were finished it, my mum and dad put it on YouTube. The director picked 60 kids to to do another audition in Auckland and who did the YouTube video who put that on YouTube was it mum dad dad so tell me about that YouTube video before Um, were you just here in the whare and you did mum go and buy you a cowboy hat (laughs) (laughs) I think we already had one and we did one inside and outside Cool. And it was funny because Eric's mum was here. I think it was school holidays and Eric's mum was here and we were all going off to work and so she was helping Henny Tapa to practice, you know, during the day and then we would come home in the evening and film her. I don't know how many times we did it. <laughs> how many times do you think we did it? Probably um a hundred. Yeah, it was a hundred probably. Heaps. So the YouTube video, just for, to understand, for people who don't understand the process, so the YouTube video goes up, the director picks that plus 59 others, so yeah. 60 YouTube or audition tapes or... Yeah, yeah that. <laughs> and then what happened, um, Hene Tāpura? Well, then again they picked 10 kids. Me and Dad went to Auckland for the audition and... Um, oh. 
Yeah, there was a green screen behind me. <laughs> now, what were you, were you dressed up in all your sheriff's badge and your... Yep. So in front of us, um, Nikki's just put a scrapbook in, on the table, just to jog any his memory. So she's going to read out some of her scrapbook that Mum's collected over there. The announcement about me being in the top ten was to be made on Friday, 23rd October, at 10 a.m. And good morning, my mum organised, me and my mum organised some of my friends to come over and um, watch me. Um, but before we were... Um, Doing that, we were making a little bit of food for us to eat while we're watching <laughs> and waiting. Yeah, so they rang us. They were going to announce the winner on the... Oh, I can't remember when it was. It might have been. It was in... Oh, about the 17th of November. And they rang us on the Sunday night before they were going to make the announcement on the Friday. Right. So they rang Eric and I here at home right. and told us that she had won, and we were just beside ourselves. But we didn't tell her. Oh, I guess. We didn't, we didn't tell Dad anyone. We knew for a whole week. We knew for a whole week. And the night before, we were going to Wellington because the winner had to appear on Good Morning, right. and they made a a live announcement on Good Morning. Did you have to say that famous line? Yes, I did. Can you say it for me now, Hine Tapura? Sure. <laughs> the milky bars are on me. <laughs> Nice, I'll get you to do that in Māori if you want to. Okay. Oh, kaya hauinga siakerite mā. Ka pai. And I do know how to... No. And I do know how to say it in Spanish too. Oh, kaya kui. Barbara de leche. You want to be an actor when you grow up? Actress? Of course I do, of course. <laughs> <laughs> when you get your Oscar, your Academy Award, you'll be saying, I want to thank my mum, my dad. <laughs> I want to be a lot of things, actually. What do you want to be? Name some of them. A vet, a journalist. <gasps> journalist. You know, an actor. A modeler, uh, a designer, and a singer, and a guitar player. She's the future, multilingual, and absolutely secure in her taha Māori. Hene tāpura short, no te arua me ngāti purau. And it's that confidence that took Ngāpare Hopa all the way to becoming the first Māori doctorate holder at Oxford University, some 40 years before Hene tāpura was born. But like so many of the Māori we meet through Te Ahika, it's the investment made by others. That helps as well. That's what you call on when times get tough, and it's humbling. I didn't have any trouble, I've got to admit it. And I got registered at St Hugh's College and then found out what it was going to cost. I thought, oh God, I can't ask Mum and Dad to pay that much money. But I thought, well, there's the Tony Trust Board on Dad's side and Tuvaretoa on Mummy's side. So I thought, oh, bugger, I'll have a go. So I wrote to Uncle Hippy then. And I said, look, I have this opportunity to do first a diploma, and if I score there, then I can go on and do an, you know, another first degree. Anyway, it took a while, but the story I heard, I was told, is that Happy said to Uncle Pay, 
the Hurunui Jones. Jones. If you if you come up with um, with a sum, I'll match it dollar for dollar. And that's what happened. That's beautiful. So that's the type of care that Iwi showed towards the young people. That, yes. Correct me if I'm wrong, that just doesn't really seem to happen now. Wow. Not in that way. Well, I think it was because there were not too many of us. Nowadays, I think they're like, we've got in cheese and paninini on my great-grandmother's my great side, on daddy's side. And now you've got to, it's not, you can't take it for granted just before you're fucking, because of the fucking You have now to demonstrate that you've, you, can, you are worth the investment, actually. That's what it's about. So with the investment made by Tainui and Te Whareto, did you feel obliged once you'd finished towards your iwi? Um, yes, I did. I was coming home anyway. Um, it took me three years to do... Yeah, it took me three years, 63 to 66, to finish um, the diploma and write uh, diploma and write my... took me two years to write the billet. Then I came home. So you know how these days, um, Napare, it's all about, you know, plan, plan, plan. We've got to plan your, your life from almost from the time of conception to you know to when it ends seems your plan was very organic (laughs) (laughs) I like that word it just happened (laughs) there's an opportunity came and I thought oh that might be nice yeah pare hopa no tainui me tuwharetoa because when times get tough and it seems like the odds are insurmountable, remembering your tūpuna, what they went through, keeps you on track. Even if it's writing an injustice from 125 years ago, as Hedney Mead explains. It will be, and it is already, a very beautiful house. And one that really commands attention once people come and look at it and see it. And once they go inside it, uh, there's a feeling of real awe and wonder about that whare. Uh, because it's, a, it's a, a whare that's a mixture of old and new. Uh, the structure is actually new. It's a brand new structure, unlike any other structure at any other marae in the country. Uh, we've had to do this because of the age of the carvings in the whare. They're over 130 years old. And therefore, we've had to uh, build the sort of structure uh, that would uh, protect them as much as we could uh, without going into very, very expensive uh, technology, you know, to keep the place cool and at an even temperature. So there are all sorts of, uh, of devices in the whare uh, to help uh, keep a fairly even temperature within it. And it's really high-tech stuff that most people just wouldn't see when they go into the whare. You can't see the technology, mm. but it's there mm. uh, to allow uh, an even kind of temperature in the whare. Uh, the structure is all steel, solid steel, and that was necessary because uh, of the weight of, of uh, some of these uh, popo. They're really heavy things, 
and I was told that uh, the Pautoronga, I think it was almost a ton and a half <gasps> by itself, uh, you know, large, very huge, and very tall. And so the house had to be strong, you know, to hold all of these carvings. Uh, we've had to do a lot of uh, conservation work on the carvings, a lot of uh, replacing uh, broken pieces, damaged pieces, uh, replacing pieces that never came back. And so <clears throat> there's been a whole lot of work done meanwhile. It's taken us a long time. I mean, the house came back in 96 and 97 when all the carvings came back. But it's taken us this long, you know, to actually get it up. But in the meantime, there's been a lot of work done in uh, producing a brand new set of uh, tukutuku panels. Uh, fariki have already been done for the fare. There's enough fariki there to cover the whole floor. Uh, cloaks, special cloaks have been woven for it. And so a lot of attention has been uh, given to the fare to make it uh, really stand out uh, as a whare that will be the prime marae, you know, for Ngāchiawa. Uh, it's also a place that has in it uh, the works of some of our some of our tipuna, the ones who built it in 1872, and it was finally uh, or first opened in 1875, and stood at Fakatane. And then I guess unusual for any whare here in New Zealand because it hadn't been standing for very long uh, when the government uh, demanded it and wanted it to be uh, uprooted and taken away to Australia and then it began a whole series of, of journeys from then on. And people have often asked us, well, why did you, Ngāchiawa, agree uh, for your whare to be pulled down and taken away. I mean, that is a very drastic thing to do, you know, to a chief on the fore. And we said, well, if you've been through Araupatsu, you've been through an invasion, your people have been thrown in jail, and a few of them have been executed, what would you say? And that was the position that Ngāchewa was in. So... It is said that we agreed, you know, to the fare being taken. So it was taken, and it went to Sydney, it went to Melbourne, there it was shipped to London, to the South Kensington, South Kensington Museum, and the Royal Victoria and Albert Museum. It was there for about 40 years, and was shown at the... Uh, a big Wembley exhibition in 1924, and that's when one of the wishes of the original builders of that whare uh, came to pass, because when it was built, one of the ideas was that if the Queen of England ever came to New, to New Zealand and visited Fakatane, she could sleep in that whare. And that was interpreted by the government as Ngāchiawa gifting the whare to them. But that wasn't the idea at all. It was 
in a sense, dedicated to the Queen, but for when she came to Fakatane, that's where she could stay. Well, <clears throat> when the house was put up at Wembley in London, the then King and Queen visited the whare, and that was King George V and Queen Mary, long before your time. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and just a little bit of news. <laughs> <laughs> The resurrection of the whare Mātātua now ends 125 years of sorrow for the iwi and it's wanting to avoid the same for her people that motivates Dale Takitsumu of Te Whanua Apanui to fight against the oil drilling, fracking off her iwi coastline. Part of that fight was vindicated earlier this week when they were granted a judicial review. That will take place next year in June, which is another step in the strategies of resistance the iwi are employing. Let's just summarise. Petrobras have a permit that can go a permit for five years. So you are in battle mode for the next five years. And what are some of the strategies that you're working out as an iwi? Because of course Whānau Apanui isn't just based like all our iwi, we're based all around the motu, mm-hmm. all around the world. Yeah. Um, certainly in, we do see this as a long term campaign not just in regards to Petrobras but in regards to protecting our environment um, whatever face the um, the people are wearing that want to come in and exploit our resources uh, without regard for the environment so this is a long term campaign uh, we have drafted the documentation to take this to the United Nations we will be doing that very shortly um, we will continue pushing this into the New Zealand um, media arena is an environmental issue. Um, we we have got some benefit concerts coming up in terms of the uh, campaign, uh, both in Gisborne uh, and up in Auckland over the next few months. Uh, and those are just basically to raise public awareness about this. And there's a whole lot of musicians, New Zealand musicians and celebrities that have put up their hand and said that they'll support lending their names and their faces and brands to, to the campaign. Um, and we will continue pushing for political change uh, in terms of the decision making. So we'll uh, try as best as we can to push for law reform around environmental regulation. Those sorts of things you need to try and do within the system. Uh, but we will be looking to put external pressure on um, and we will be taking it to every domestic and international court we can. Uh, to try and stop the government in its tracks. We will try and um, hit Petrobras as a company in terms of its brand uh, by saying we don't want them here. We've approached uh, the Brazilian embassy in Wellington. Uh, We have spoken with Petrobras officials directly. We will continue doing that with Brazil's new newly elected president, uh, who herself was a human rights and indigenous rights activist in her day. Uh, And so we will put some pressure on them in terms of uh, Brazil itself upholding the Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People that they signed. Um, And where the New Zealand government continues to be dishonourable, we will see if we can get the Brazilian government and Petrobras to show some honour in this space and get them to pack up their bags and go home. And by doing so, we hope we send a message... Uh, to the rest of the petroleum industry not to come to the Rokumara Basin and not to undertake deep-sea oil drilling uh, in in this country. There are some activities that may be on the radar in terms of uh, the ability to 
use resources responsibly, but we don't think deep sea oil drilling is one of them. We have got quite big support from some of the mining unions or the, the, the key mining union over in Australia who have said that they don't think this is a, a sustainable practice. Um, and we've got support already from all around the world, other indigenous people and other uh, anti-oil activists around the world. So we'll continue with those networks um, and uh, using those. Uh, we have in New Zealand at the moment, New Zealand's very lucky to have uh, one of the key campaigners and lawyers who has fought against and spent a lot of his years in Brazil um, fighting against um, the... Uh, the Brazilian oil giant Petrobras, his name is Sidney Poissier, and he has for a long time dedicated his life to uh, environmental issues, uh, protecting the Amazon. So he's here in New Zealand for a, a couple of years. So uh, we will be taking her, him up on his offer to share his experiences and learn from them. Uh, certainly he has done what we are trying to do, which is get Petrobras to back off and get out of uh, our back door, our backyard. Yeah. Kia ora, Del Takitimu, no te whanua, Apanui. I'm Justine Murray. I'm Maraia Rakaraku, and in our last broadcast for the year, we're bringing you highlights from Te Ahika 2011. At our website, you'll find links that if you click through, will take you to each kōrero. The website's radionz.co.nz forward slash Te Ahika. Now, Justine, finding albums that reflected Māori artists this year and narrowing it down was a bit of a hard task, eh? I know. It was a few slim pickings there because quite a few artists get the Christmas rush, hence the release date was last year in 2010. However, found a few. Awanui Reader and his solo debut EP, The Viper Room. 660 in their self-titled album, we had a few of their tracks in the show a few weeks back. And in August this year, Tāti Honui Apaparangi artist Seth Harpu released a self-titled album. And actually there were a few near that were doing the self-titled album road. It's the year of self-titles. <laughs> Rio Hall uh, released her EP. The Te Reo Māori compilation album, Tato Tato E, Bikurunga and her album Bell. And Catch a Fires on the Road Again album. And no doubt they'll play at the annual Waiata Māori Music Awards held in Hastings. Now that seems to be going from strength to strength. It was a performance in 2010 that sealed Tyler Keelan as a crowd favourite, especially when he busted out a song that originated from a whānau wedding. My friend Ria Hall, who most Māori will know at the moment, she's got music coming out, well, she um, got me to sing at her sister's wedding. Was her sister's wedding? Were her cousins? I can't remember. So while we were there... Um, I was up in Tauranga Moana where she's from and then we were just playing covers me and my mates Lisa Tomlins and a couple other people and then we sort of ran out of songs and I went oh bro play me the bass line to hell of a and the bro was like dun, 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 dun. and then I was like I just started singing about an East Coast girl and then it got to the chorus part and I didn't know what to do because I'm, I'm very, very prone to making up songs on the spot I just went <laughs> Just going like this. Right? And the thing is, like, I just went, I want to be the only thing you see. When you smile, I see the look in your eyes. 
girl, you to me, you're shining like the sun, and I know you'll be mine someday. You know, and that's the premise of the song, right? And then it got to the chorus, and I just went, told the drummer to stop, and he went, and I just went, my East Coast girl, my East Coast girl. And that was it. And then I made that song up at Rhea's sister's wedding. And then what happened was we were playing... Uh, we got, we had to do a, uh, was that a pop? I think it was Pow Pow Pow. Yeah, Pow Pow Pow. And I, and I still looked at the bros and went, bro, maybe I'll play that thing. <laughs> and they go, yeah. And then they played it and then I made up East Coast Girls. And that's why every time if you see me sing it or on video or whatever, it's different. It's different because I never wrote the words down, I just make it up every time. So it was like a story. And at the end, I don't know how I got to, she's from the coast, she's probably my cousin. <laughs> I, you know? It would start with, like, you know, I don't care, I got a better looking chick from the West or whatever, and then it's like scared of her dad, and then, yeah, the cousin thing. And the people just, when I played at the Waitama Māori Awards last year, I I couldn't believe the response. I, oh, I come look. off the stage and just. Because we can all relate to it. Yeah, well, that's the thing, and it's true. <laughs> it's true. You know, it's true. What, what I'm, what, I might not have written the words down there, but I'm talking truth. And I, I come out from backstage and go to meet people, and, and, I, and I just couldn't get anywhere because they were all like, where can we buy that song? Where can we buy that song? <laughs> So my friend Marka, um, he wants to... That's Marka McGregor. Yeah, Marka McGregor, Marka, Marka Fett, of why? Marka and Minimum, two of my best friends. He wants to, um, me to go over there to his fight and we're going to yeah, get around to one day recording it and put it out. Oh, do it. So, um, yeah, That's but I just hilarious. feel like I don't want to write the words down because I'll lose that spontaneity. Yeah. So I might just try and record it, making it up. Well, I'm, um, I'm Tolaga Benise and Mahesian Mystic... Um, that means I'm, uh, well, Taitanga uh, Ahuachi, and you know, Ngati Poro, Rungumai Wahini, and um, Ngati, what's Porirua, bro? Titai Bay? Yeah, no, I'm not that one, but I'm Ngati Titai Bay because I lived there all my life. Girl, 
Try and sing this song anyway. But that's so good, cause I'm really good anyway, so I don't need you to make some mistakes. I'm trying to be the only guy you need, so that you can see me when you awake, babe. You're like the sun, you're shining down on me. I wanna make you my wife. One day, my East Coast girl, my East Coast girl, my East Coast girl, my East Coast girl. They say, then when I hear you're with another guy, it just makes me wanna break down and crying. But I don't care, cause all the time you thought that I was loving you, I was really lying. The truth is, girl, I know you think that you're the only girl and that you are the best. But really, girl, even though you're from the coast, I got a better looking chick from the west. My East Coast girl. East Coast girl, my East Coast girl, my East Coast girl, you know, and I try to say that you were really bad, but I was too scared of your dad. Cause he would make me break down and cry When he kicks my bum with those muscly thighs <laughs> He used to say, marry my little girl Make her happy or I'm going to smash you But I know they're loving And she's about my rubbing But she's from the coast, she's probably my cousin So my East Coast girl my East Coast girl, my East Coast girl, my East Coast girl, you are my East Coast girl, my East Coast girl, my East Coast girl, my East Coast girl. East Coast Girls, love that waiter. Performed by composer and all-round hilarious guy, Tyna Keelan. He's from all over the place, but actually, he's just Nasi Puro. And just last week, we had Naomi Tuolpepe and Brian Doyle-Wai of Cornerstone Roots in the Fuddy. Okay, you got together 10 years ago. Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, we got to... Me and Brian were um, playing a bit of music at home, and then 
we went down to the local Raglan Musos Club and met a drummer called Boyd Dixon and um, came along and jammed with us and did a few sessions at the Raglan Music Club and it kind of started from there. The locals wanted to hear more and then from there we went and did gigs and started recording music. And the momentum's just gradually built mm -hmm. since then, right? Yeah. And in between all of that, you've been bringing up a family. Yep. <laughs> yes, we yep. have um, three three children. They they were sort of involved in everything we do, so we had to um, drag them all around um, at those early days. Eh? Mm. We were just yeah. talking about that today, actually. And um, it's always been around them, and and, and and to be able to work and be a parent at the same time, I think that having them around and doing music was easier to keep them on the road. But we had this great community in Ragnar. We had lots of friends that took the kids, mm. so we could go off on tour for a week or something, or a couple of weeks. So having, um, you know, growing your family up at the same time that you fellas are growing up, does that mean you've had to? Has that determined the type of music you've done, and then determined the kind of gigs that you've yeah. you've taken on? Definitely. Yeah, at the beginning it did. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We played a lot of festivals where the, we knew the kids could come. Mm. Um, a lot of we didn't play bars. We no. didn't play venues or bars we or cafes pubs for quite a few years. Just mostly cafes and it's a child-friendly type of mm. environment. So yeah. yeah, and if we couldn't find one in the town, then we'd just go and hire the local town hall. Yeah, and just do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, what's been a highlight mm -hmm. today in your career? I mean, you played with some pretty big names here. Yeah. Sly and Robbie, yeah. I'm guessing that'd be a hard one, yeah. would be for me. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. Sly was pretty amazing, actually, because we got to spend some, we watched him sound check for a couple of hours, and then we got to, he was a really approachable man. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and, and we played, like, um, uh, one of the rhythms. And man, how do you stop, how do you stop getting, not getting starstruck? I've <laughs> like, been uh, paralysed with, like, love yeah. hearts coming out of your <laughs> yeah. eyes. I don't know. I don't know. I mean... <laughs> It was quite cool to meet them. It was one of the one of the first sort of international bands that we played with of that caliber. And um, I don't know. After the second day, I think um, we just uh, we were just talking to them and put them down off the pedestal and yeah. um, just talking to them. Well, speaking of music, we've talked about music. Um, mm. Your album released last year, Future Is Now, yeah. Cornerstone yep. Roots. Yep. And from the album, we're going to, um, Brian, you're going to play Seeds for us. Yeah. What's the song about? It's an interesting song, that one. A lot of friends um, that I'd grown up with and that sort of went down another path. And and then sort of suddenly, they, you know, their lives changed and they wanted to do things, you know, different things or, or go or education or whatever. But they always let their past hold them back. And I says, no, you just let it go, man. It doesn't really matter. Everyone's done stuff, you know. You just got to let it go, move forward, you know what I mean? So really that song's, yeah, it's about about an empowerment and of planting a seed and, 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 and nurturing it and watching it grow, you know. And that's that's about your life and... And letting... And letting stuff go. And, and it's, you don't have to go through any... I don't know, any heavy psychotherapy, you just got to decide and just change it. <laughs> That's it. Pretty simple. <clears throat> All right, let's go. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter where 
Kia ora, Naomi Tuaupepe and Brian Ruawai of Cornerstone Roots. Nā mihi kia kōrua. Hey Justine, and then there's the times we get out and get dirty. Yes, dirty. We've done our fair share when it comes to putting on the wet weather gear and carrying our microphones around and pulling on the gumboots. Mariah and Hastings with Hanui Lawrence and a veggie garden that just gives and gives. And one in Palmerston North created specifically to cultivate spuds. Or DY. Or Taiwa, or the other varieties of potatoes that Justin got up close to when she helped Dr. Nick, the potato man, Rossgridge, harvest the shears crop. You've been harvesting today? Harvesting to get the last of our crops out, but we've actually been this morning in another paddock, so we're just coming to clean up this paddock, you'll see. But we've got a few rows of Taiwa just to take out, 
and um, there's some good puha there as well. So we're gonna, I'm gonna do a big pick of that before we get too far down the track. So you'll be able to catch up with these young ones <laughs> and the uncles, and they'll. Are there lots of varieties of taiwa being grown in, here? In this paddock, um, there was about four plus one Pākehā one, just as to compare. We just had to mix the Pākehā one so that we could see how well they were doing compared to the Pākehā one. But a, a good crop in here, nice crop. So the main one we'll pick is two Taikuri and the other one, um, the Waipōroporo, are the two main ones that we haven't dug yet. So you'll, you'll see soon. The two Taikuri is uh, sometimes Peru Peru as well. Sometimes Urenika. Urenika. Oh. Urenika. So Dr. Nick's going to pick him yeah. some puha, some puha reka. This was an irrigation trial. So they did different rates of irrigation to see the difference in, in right. the, the end yield. So this was an irrigation trial. But um, we dug it a few weeks ago and now it's just tidying up what's left, what we hadn't taken out the first time. So um, and then we let the paddock get cleaned up, let the sheep in to clean it up. And so right now you can hear the tractor and uh, it's going basically down the crop, digging up the kaiwa uh, or the mighty potatoes. And we have a couple of uncles from this area, from the Manawatu. Um, digging up some of the potatoes, so we have a quick check to one of the uncles. So, so what what are you what are you doing now? Picking up the picking up these buds. <laughs> what are these ones? Are these peru peru? Oh, cute they. Kadumba. Oh, no. Why is it like that? Too much water. They've been here too long, eh? But look at that. Well, that's my view anyway. <laughs> Is there a technique to... Uh, these are, these are karupura, aren't they? What are these ones? Boy? What are these taiwa? Karupura. Tutaikuri. No. No, 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 these are not tutaikuri. Tutaikuri might be over there. No, these are karupura. What area are you from? Eh? What, what, where are you from? I'm originally from Taranaki, but I, I live in um, in Bulls uh, in the Rangitike at the moment. I've been there for been there in the Rangitike since '58. We come there. Um, the land was come back to us quite a long time. So when I retired, I ended up living in Bulls. Oh, it's like a purple purple railway. Eh? What's the name of it? Hey Pete, what are these ones? Pete? Peter? Pete, what are these buds? Do you grow your own ga uh, veggies at home? Yeah, yeah. What do you think is the secret to growing good Māori kai? Well, uh, well, well there's no, the, the big secret this year, they got all that viruses in them, especially the spuds. I grew, um, bloody grew spud, I specialise in spuds, eh? But with that, that virus that, that, that hit, hit the Māori spud, not to all about. Um, well, in the one mate they got now, one year, and all, all the marriage buds that I grew at home, well, they were buggered all the way. Went, went very many, and the ones I grew up on the Mariah Rata, they got none, nothing under them. 
What do you think the overall quality of the of um, the crop is, uh, oh, this one here, Henry? It, it's quite it's, it's it's quite good, quite good. That's some quite good. Um, looks like it's got some quite good buds in there, eh? They've got quite nice sized buds. Look, look at them, nice sized buds. Eh? Kia ora, Dr Nick Ruskridge and 80-year-old Henry Cunningham showing us how it's done and perhaps testing some of those gender roles that seems to have got distorted through tikanga Māori. Ani Mikaire talks more about that. I suppose that growing up as a Māori girl and then young woman, um, I was always struck by the contradictory messages that one had about the value of being a woman. Um, you know, on the on, on the one hand, we were told that we were the fare tangata and all those lovely messages, but on the other hand, there's always a sense of almost having to be apologetic in some way <laughs> for being a woman, and there was uh, we seem to be hemmed in by lots of restrictions. Yes, um, I remember that as I was yes, growing up. Yes. Don't do that. Don't do that. But you're very precious. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and the idea. Um, that women were there to support the men folk was the way that women of a couple of generations older than myself spoke about it. But in fact, the very woman, I remember my grandmother spoke about supporting the men folk. Um, but in fact, when I looked at her, it was clear that she was a very strong woman in her own right um, and that she exercised leadership roles of a certain kind. And when I got older and looked into it a little more deeply, she had inherited those roles from her mother. And so when I really started to look at our Oniwi histories, there were all these very powerful women <laughs> right throughout our whakapapa who were clearly not just there to support the menfolk. Um, that's not to say they didn't support the menfolk, but, but the idea was that the women supported the men and the men supported the women, and, and it wasn't an unknown thing for women to be strong and powerful and to play all sorts of roles, military, political, you know, you name it, uh, they seem to be there, the stories about them are there. So that started making me wonder really how it was that as a young Māori girl in this day and age you would grow up with the sense that perhaps women didn't fulfil leadership roles or that women were there just in support roles or that women had to be careful about doing this, that or the other and we were restricted we were there to all these bear children. And that we were there principally to bear children and, and nothing else. So um, that's what really started me looking into that um, that kind of field, I suppose. How did we, how did our present day reality, if you like, match with um, the messages that you got pretty clearly from our tikanga right back to the stories about our atua? Um, and how does it? Well, it doesn't. <laughs> There's been a disconnect, really, between those very powerful atua wahine and a lot of what we're told today. Um, and so I, I guess... For me, the next question was, well, where has this come from? And because I had spent a long time studying Pākehā law, I knew that there was a very strong tradition within uh, the English law that came here that regarded women as chattels and, you know, as being, you know, barely human. Um, and so it, it wasn't too hard to figure out where that kind of uh, distortion of our tikanga may have come from. And then when you started looking at the impact of Christianity, um, it, all of those all of those um, new ideas that were brought to bear upon us. Um, the fact that the men who came here made certain assumptions about who the leaders were. Uh, went to the men. Went to the men. Um, perhaps made the men feel important. Um, encouraged the men to buy into the idea of a hierarchy. <laughs> and the thing, the thing about a hierarchy is that... Um, 
Oh, there's a, there's a writer, a uh, Cherokee writer by the name of Andrea Smith, and she puts it really well. She says that the uh, First Nations cultures in North America were not hierarchical in any way, shape or form, but that when the colonisers went there, they figured out that if you're going to oppress or take over a society that's not hierarchical, the first thing you do is you have to introduce the notion of hierarchy. You have to get them used to the idea of hierarchy. And she said that patriarchy was a first step. And, of course, it's sort of genius, really, because if you can convince half of the population that they're better than the other half, um, then you immediately sow the seed, the idea that there's a hierarchy. And once you convince people that hierarchy is the natural order of things, you then encourage them to accept their place within it. And is that what happened to us, to Marvin? I really do believe it is what happened to us. I believe that, and I'm, not, I'm certainly not speaking of all of our men, but I believe that to some extent some of our men were approached, were uh, cajoled, um, were, I guess, manipulated, if you want to put it that strongly, into believing that they were in fact more important than the woman, that they were more important than some of the other men, um, and by being made to feel that they were more important than some other people, they could then accept their place in the hierarchy, which was subordinate to the white men. Uh, and I, I think that the colonists did quite an effective job, I'm afraid. So if we were to look at that hierarchy, was Pākehā men? Pākehā men at the top, top. absolutely. And um, then as you go down? Now, it's hard to say. I, I suspect they still probably regarded their woman ahead of the Māori men. <laughs> so it's a bit bit tricky there. I don't know who they would put first. Um, but Māori, well, any way you look at it, Māori women Māori, were clearly at the bottom. At the bottom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, whoever occupied the middle middle ground in that ranking... Māori women clearly were at the bottom. And that hierarchy still exists today? In some people's minds it definitely does. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I, I Probably in the last 10 to 15 years it's refreshing to see more people are questioning it. Um, but uh, it's still and it's kind of an unspoken understanding amongst an awful lot of our people. Uh, uh, and I should say, probably almost it's a subconscious, you know, many of our people aren't even aware of it, uh, which in some ways makes it more dangerous still. Kia ora, Ani Mikaire. Now, remember, you can re-listen to these kōrero in all their entirety. You just head to our webpage, radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika. Now, we get to a few marae as part of our series Ngā Marae o Te Motu, and one of them was Onetahua in Golden Bay. So for the whānau down that way, who's had flooding over the past week, this is for you. Ko whakapuna ki te maunga, ko te wairoa, ho pupu, hone nengengi, matangi rauta awa, ko whakirangi te marae, ko takitimu te waka, ko kahununu te iwi, ko kurupakiaka te hapu, ko Glen Rogers takuingoa. Ko parapara te maunga, ko parawhaka oho te awa, ko tokumaru te waka, Ko Tiatiawa, Minati Tamana Iwi, Ko Onitahua Te Marae, Ko Laurelie Daftakawingoa. Kia ora, Laurelie and Glenn, for joining me this morning. Whereabouts is Onitahua Marae? Um, Onitahua Marae is in the Pohara Valley in Golden Bay in Mohua. And um, Mohua is the, uh, the original name for Golden Bay and Mohua refers to the little yellow-headed bird. Oh, 
that was here in the in, in the bay. So that's how it got the name. And here's me thinking it was the golden sands of the beach. Yeah, no, no, it was definitely after the bird. So, ladies, we are standing at the uh, Tomokanga, or the entranceway, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. And you are one of the kaikaranga here? Aye. And so what happens when Manuhiri come? Do they just, uh, is it, do they stand here and then you karanga and then they slowly walk up the stairs yes. in front of us, don't they? Yes, yes, they do. Yeah, our, our marae onitahu is a little bit um, unique. One, because you're actually having to go upstairs and then turn to the left mm. to get it into the Wharitupuna to be welcomed on, but yes. Yeah. And so the name where I can read is Te Aumarama. Yeah. Like up here we have our Tiko Tiko, Ranginui and Papa Tuanuku. Below that the Kōruru is Te Aumarama. So the name Te Aumarama came about as... Um, a new way forward, you know, the world of the light. Yep. So this was how our whare got its name, Te Aumarama. Oh, my gosh, there's a pool. We have our own swimming pool. Wow, of course it was a school. Yeah. <laughs> and this gets used by um, a lot of the kids that, that live here in the valley. We have our own local plumber who lives two or three doors away, and he and another gentleman... Um, do the looking after of the pool and the, the cleaning and the chemicals, the whole nine yards. So, well, yeah. we all have tunes. Yep, um, yep. We do a lot of. Um, we have a copper out here, which we use to um, steam cockles or cook our um, steam puddings in. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. we've got an old copper there, which works great. It does. Yeah, Glenn, you talked about um, you know this is the area where they shell kaimwana. You know what kinds of kaimwana are are available in the area? Uh, um, cockles, cockles. You just walk down the beach, you can collect cockles all the time. Mussels, you know, there are a couple of um, commercial mm. operations running here. You know, mussel farms, and um, we actually have some investments and mm. some muscle yeah. lines to yeah. create some income for the for the marae and be interesting to see when that happens because yes. it hasn't Not got yet. off to Not a racy yet. start but no. if we have a big hui on you know we just contact some of the local of guys that yeah. are running mm. the can you get us some muscles in and they come yeah glenn when these are tangihanga what's the kawa what where does the where is the, the Tupapaku. Okay, so depending on who the Tupapaku are, so they will be, we have three different po down the other end here, so and they represent different iwi, so we could wander off down yeah. and... So, yeah, when there's a, when, when there's a tangihanga, mm. um, the yep. Tupapaku are bought in, and depending on where they're from, um, we'll decide which po they'll lay under. Oh, okay. Yeah. And who makes that decision, the local co-matsua? Um, uh, no, well, we, we know, like, for instance, if it's ma the, the right-hand po is uh, Ngāti Rārua, and the middle po is Tiatiawa, Ngāti Tama, and this po here is uh, Mātāwaka po. In fact, if you know, if, if you look close, if you know the style of your iwi carving, you'll find that each one of the figures is a diff it's carved differently. So Matawaka could be a person from anywhere in Aotearoa? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Anywhere in So in I know, for mm. me, that mm. like when we had my mother's um, 
uh, her to Kohatsu. You know, we bought her yeah. photos and that, and, and they lay under the Matawaka Pau mm. at Kuia last year, um, Whaiti Aroha. You know, her two papaku lay under the Matawaka yeah. Pau. Yeah. So, and, and we have great pleasure in telling our manuhiri that mm. come in here, you know, this, this is, is your pau. You know, if you're not from here, you're not Siatiawa Natitama Natirarua, he's your pai here. Tina Korua, the lovely ladies there from Onetahua, Marai and Golden Bay. And Marai plays such significant roles in Māori lives, I know it does in mine, but also generally. And there's nothing like a natural disaster when Marai really come into their own, eh, Justine? Aye. Post Christchurch earthquake, the relief effort that took place around the country here in Wellington at Pipitia Marae that was used as a base to send food and clothing down to Christchurch and Christchurch itself. The many marae around Christchurch that catered for people who found themselves homeless or unable to get back to their houses but who also ended up hosting tourists. And there was nothing like the biggest event of them all. Ida, one of the biggest events of the year, the Rugby World Cup. Everybody got Rugby World Cup fever. Many marae stepped up and hosted uh, the teams that we're visiting. My marae, for example, in Tauranga, hosted the Fiji team. Bulavanaka. <laughs> Show us that cover. <laughs> So from hosting international visitors to those running from a natural disaster, yet it takes nothing than a disaster closer to home to really pull together the whanau of a hapu, as Justine found when she visited a marae in Masterton, recovering from what could have been a devastating fire. Okay, so right now we're um, at Te Ore Ore Marae, and Jason, let's, let's reflect on, on what occurred um, early in the summer. Here at the Marae? Um, we had some whānau here staying at the Marae um, and just kind of to the west of the Marae is, is the Rumahanga River where a lot of the kids go down and, and swim um, and a fire was started down halfway between the Marae and the river in some really dry gorse uh, it got pretty hairy because the fire shot off in both directions towards the, the river and back towards the Marae and um, a few of our kids were down there swimming but they were spread out along and they, they didn't know what was going on. Thankfully one of the parents who was at the marae at the reunion was on hand and he managed to get everyone safe. So. Oh, so there was a reunion happening here? Aye. Oh. Um, there's only, only a small whanau, about 20 or 30 people, but I believe if he hadn't have been there, you know, this it could have been a bit of a tragedy. So yeah. um, it was, we're really thankful that he was here. Um, so the fire spread and then the, the authorities were called um, and the fire was spreading out. I think the fire was about eight acres that went up in, in, in flames uh, and according to the uh, the fire service it was heading towards the marae and we were preparing to lose the marae but for some for some reason uh, the wind changed so we kind of saw that as a tohu that you know somebody was looking after us. Somebody was definitely a bit of a Someone was giving you guys, you know, manakitanga then. So as you can hear, it's, it's, I mean, where we are, it's, it's pretty windy. And no doubt um, the wind wouldn't have helped that day at all. It would have maybe engulfed the, fly, uh, the fire more, Jason. I think you'll find in a minute when you see the, the damage, um, it got pretty close. Uh, it wasn't as windy as it is today, but it, it was heading in this direction. So what if it was as windy today as it was then? It would have been possibly disastrous we we think so we, yeah. we were 
we were on the verge of um, getting all our photos out of the marae. And, um, was it that serious, Jason? We, it was that serious. Our, so, yeah. our nannies came out here just to make sure, as, as you, you know, I'm sure every other uh, marae around the country would imagine, um, they, they came here to get all the tongue out. Um, and when they when they arrived, the uh, the fire service had already kicked into gear, and um, thankfully the wind had changed, and they didn't need to do that. Yeah. Okay, so um, in front of us is the, a fence surrounding Te Oriori Marae, and um, I can see a lot of the damaged bush area uh, about uh, 10 metres in front of me, 20 metres in front of me, and uh, we're just going to climb over a um, one of the fences here. Oh my gosh, I haven't done this for ages. <laughs> I'll just put this down. Justin's just uh, <laughs> jumping over a fence right now. Pretty windy here, as you can hear. It's pretty extreme conditions, actually. Oh, I can see black soil, black fence. So we're standing uh, just to the north of the Marae, which is about we're only about eight or nine metres from the car park, and um, there's a burnt fence, uh, which is where the closest where the fire got to. So thankfully, there's a driveway between the Marae and and the reserve next door, which kind of stopped the spread of the fire. Now you would have been out here, eh, Jason? What we? All right. Um, several of us uh, from the Marae came out here, and we were just kind of staying out of the way of the fire service, um, watching the the fence burn and thanking thanking the gods for uh, changing the wind. <laughs> yeah. And with the time, it would have been really serious. I mean, you obviously you would have been doing karakia. Um, there was karakia. We had um, a couple of the nannies out here who were, you know, um, in tears. Mm. Uh, our marae burnt down in 1939. And one of the nannies here, who's she's just over 80 years old, she was kind of remembering when she was a young person um, in the last fire that took our marae. So it was pretty, you know, it was pretty heart-wrenching for them. Well, gee, it would have been a sense of maybe... Deja vu for her, eh? Having to recall those memories of seeing the. the yes, it marae. was, but you know, she was really thankful that it, it, it wasn't going to happen the same as it did when she was a child. Um, and the other thing was, uh, we had a we had an auntie here, Auntie Sissy, who's part of the the kohanga which is next to us, which is Hinitiaro uh, Rangi, which is a, a, a rangitani hapu named after one of our tupuna. Um, and Auntie Sissy was out here, and she was um, sad too. You know that it, it was very close for every, all of us. Yeah. We were thanking our lucky stars. So. Kia ora, Jason Kirihi, no Terangitane ki Wairarapa, who showed me around Te Ore Ore Marae. Now, big shout out to all those Marae that have hosted us over the year and over the years, and all the ones that we're still running around trying to get to next year. And also to my own Marae. Rahiri o Terangi, miss you, wish we were operational. Each week we open the program with a whakatauki, voiced by a female which is our karanga, in acknowledgement that the first voice you hear when you enter a marae is a female, and then we close it with an explanation. And that can be done by either a male or a female. We've had a 
bit of a rough time here at Radio New Zealand over the past week and with that in mind Justine and I have this whakatauki. He aroha whakatoa, he aroha putamai. If kindness is sown, then kindness you shall receive. And our message to y'all is to show kindness to each other. To the whenua, you know, pick up the rubbish. Don't leave rubbish lying around as you're having a picnic. Pick it up, man. Uh, when you drive, you know, just take it easy. Or as my uh, father says, you're going to get there eventually. And stressful times come with this Christmas period, Nehemiah. So Hi. a couple of words, just be kind. Last week we mentioned some of the whānau who have died over the past 12 months. Now it wasn't a conclusive list. Just over the past week, Tahinare Ngata died. And activists who grew up in Taumaranui, Trevor Rupe, we know her as Carmen. Aged 75 years old, she died earlier this week. Katukana te aroha ki a kōrua tahi me o kōrua whānau whānui. And we've had deaths within our department here at Radio New Zealand National. Carol Davidson, our department secretary, and former Features producer host Maureen Garing. Moimaira. And those who have lost their lives in the Christchurch earthquakes, ka nui tamawa aroha me ngā whakaro kia koutou. Now, here it is where we do our annual thank yous. Tiahika is brought to you each week through the combined efforts of a behind-the-scenes crew. That's right. There's our crew in the library at InfoFind, Emma, Yumi, Lynette, Yvonne and Anne. You guys are the best. Receptionist, Auntie Jeanette, Shirlene. And we have the engineers. They're the ones who produce it all and make it sound all pretty. Uh, there's Phil Brownlee, Shannon McKenna, Jason McClellan, Gareth Watkins, William Saunders, uh, Sean Wilson, Daryl Stack, Matt Thompson, Mark Chessman, Chris Keogh and Jeremy Veal. Ops Room, you guys are cool men. Ian Bull, Carol Jones, Kevin Golding and Chris Adams. Hey, music library staff, Jeremy Tate and Mark Hector. When am I going to get normal privileges restored? <laughs> Fellow Features Producers, Veronica Maduna, Alison Balance, Ruth Behrin, Jack Perkins, Amelia Nurse, Mike Gooley, Linda Chanwai Earl, Sonia Yee, Justin Gregory. And the computer Fano, Helena Nimmo, Francis Hopkins and Richard Hulse. Drama Dudes. Other Features Staff, Lynn Hanks, Paul Bushnell, Phil Smith. Archive Staff in Christchurch, Andrew Hamish, Jim Hunia. Our Buddies, Comrades and Māori Staff, Jason Tikari and Rosemary Dangitawira. Kia kaha and of course, all of the whānau who we've met, harangued, spoken to, interviewed over the year. Chased after. Chased after, <laughs> invited us into their homes and of course their lives. What a privilege. Yeah, what a privilege. And to our own whānau and mates. Yeah, love you fellas. Now, next year we're back again. We'll be back at the end of January and there'll be some changes. Have a fantastic summer. Yeah, you too, Justine. What are you up to? I am, well, we're both Bay of Plenty gals, so I'm careening back home to Tauranga, of course, with the whanau. What about you? I'm going to be heading up into the bay, sleeping, eating, growling. And it's quite <laughs> Just funny. Just the usual. It's quite um, funny, too, because when Marae and I leave Wellington, we're quite pasty and pale, and when we come back, we are brown <laughs> with That's a right. tan. That's <laughs> wiki. And actually, throughout the year, Atuitira kina kaira wiki wiki mihini, ngamahi, 
Hoki mai hei tira tau. Mai te whanau a te ahikā ki a tata katoa. Mauri ora. Get up and fight, get up and fight. Fight for the people every day. Get up and fight, get up and fight. Fight for your people every day, yeah. Hi, 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 hi. Oh, 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 oh. Rise every morning to the waking sun. Hold your line till the work is done. The wicked don't rest on the setting sun. Got to push forward every day. I am one of many other people who come from distant lands of Polynesia. Here we come with the roots vibration. Polynesian roots foundation. Get up and fight. Get up and fight. Fight for your freedom every day. Get up and fight. Get up and fight. Fight for your people every day. Up now the time to unite it now with the power of free choice. Listen up now the time to unite it now with the power of one voice, one people, one vibe. Nation side by side, the people won't come watch a wicked man run. Got to push forward every day. Get up and fight, get up and fight, fight for. Get up and fight, fight for your freedom every day. Now is the time to unite. Now is the time to unite. Put up your hand, time to be counted. Rise up and stand. Step up your vibe, time to be counted. Yeah. Don't look down, don't look away. Don't look down, don't look away. Time will come for you to stand someday. I say, get up and fight, get up and fight. Fight for your freedom every day. Get up and fight, get up and fight. Get up and fight.